0: Open your copy of God's Word to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, continuing our series through this book. This morning we're looking at chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Give your attention now to the reading of God's Word. Who is like the wise man, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. For a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and a procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. And there's no discharge in the time of war. And evil will not deliver those who practice it. And this I've seen and applied my mind to every deed that's been done under the sun, wherein a man who has exercised authority over another to his hurt. Uh, The passage of Scripture is dealing with, obviously, uh, authorities over us. It reminded me of the time when I was in college. I was uh, working at a carpet mill in Greenville for summer work, and um, I was... uh, in the sample department of this carpet mill, cutting little sample squares they put on the sample boards, send out to all the stores so you can see the colors and feel the carpet and all that kind of stuff. Well, as I was cutting these samples, my supervisors, there was someone directly over me, looking at me, watching me, training me, because you're using a big metal press and metal dies, and you can lose a finger real quick. So, you know, a lot of supervision involved, and um, maybe I was a little too reckless uh, because I was doing it really fast, and he kept getting on to me. He said, he said you're doing it too fast. I said, well, I'm getting it done, he, and he just kept fussing at me, and um, it was all about quotas. He didn't want my quotas to be bigger than his quotas, I think, but it, it just made the job miserable. You know, I just thought, ah, i got to work under this incompetent, irresponsible, hurtful Person. Couldn't I have a, a better position where I don't have to listen to his rebukes constantly? Um, have you ever had somebody like that? You've got to work under. It's like they just never encourage you. They're always, even when you're doing what you are convinced is good, they're just putting you down. And it's, it's just not fun um, anymore. And life's that way for us in lots of ways. We're all under somebody, we all have some sort of authority over us. Um, Don't miss verse 9. You'll get into the context here. Verse 9, let me read it again. He says, All this that I've I've seen and applied my mind to, every deed that's been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. He says, That's what this passage is about. When people are over you and... The way they live their life is to your hurt. It doesn't say whether they know they're hurting you or not. Seemingly, it could be that there's somebody over you that doesn't even know they're hurting you, but they're hurting you. We all have people over us in some way or fashion. Um, Think of easy ones. In a marriage, Ephesians 5, 21 says, Husband and wife should submit to one another. Submit you one to another. So there's a sense in which the husband's over the wife, and at times the wife's over the husband. Do does that ever turn hurtful? Do they some? Does sometimes your spouse live in such a way that it that it hurts you? Yeah, it does. There's times when everybody in the room may say, "David hurt me by what he say, Said you know, elders hurt people. Say, so, well, the way he said it, it just hurt. I didn't mean to do that but it did exercising my responsibilities sometimes hurts others we have government that makes rules over us we're all under that and sometimes it seems ridiculous and it hurts we have employers over us that sometimes hurt us we have family members we have parents we have sometimes kids who try to exercise authority over the parents. All of that comes to a situation of hurt. So this is not a, a passage that's just out there somewhere. This is where we live. This is about how do we live when it hurts? Uh, and how do we respond to the situation that's really above us? It's, it's, it's in some way out of our control. Someone else is causing it to occur. How do we respond? He gives us three responses. I want you to see them. Verses 2, 3, 4, um, uh, and uh, 5 here. Uh, first response is be faithful. You've got them up there. Be patient. Be supportive. Let's look at the faithful one. Verse 2. I say, keep the command. That's the faithfulness. Be faithfulness. Stay in obedience. Keep the command of the king. And then he gives the reason because of the oath. Before God. He didn't say because it's going to bless you, because you're going to have pleasure, because I prefer it. He says you need to do it because of the oath. We all have made oaths. He said, because you've made a covenant, because you have an agreement. Here he's talking about a king, keep the command. You have a command to obey your king, to obey those in authority over you. We have that command in Romans 13. We are to obey our government. We're to obey our king, our authority. We have that command in marriage to be submissive one to another. We take oaths. We take vows. We make a covenant with our spouse to live obediently before them. And as God says, I want you to be faithful to that because of that covenant, because of that Oath. As kids, we don't realize it, but we make a oath to our parents in the fifth commandment: "I will honor my mom and dad." And that's that's a commitment we make as children in the household. As parents, we make a commitment to rule over our households as well. Uh, so, all of these relationships in our in our um, employment, obviously, we have some sorts of contracts or verbal agreements or handshakes or different things. We or making at that moment an oath, an agreement that we are going to be faithful. We're going to do whatever it is obligated of us to do. He says, so when they hurt you, that, that's not your out. Well, it's not fun anymore. I don't like this anymore. I, I didn't know I signed up for this. He says, keep the commandment. Keep the oath, because of the oath, you've made an oath, let's keep it. Let's stay in there. there there's going to be hurt, but don't run. Don't abandon the oath. Um, as a pastor, I see it with church hoppers. You know, it bothers me when I see people who come and, you know, I ask, you know, where have you been in church? Well, I was here. Where were you last year? I was here. and Where were you the year before? I was there. and Where were you the year before? That's a church hopper. And that person's not going to stick around long because they don't get the oath. They don't get the vows that these men just made. They don't get the commitment. Because it's not going to take long in this church. I'm going to say something to hurt you. If you're going to leave because I hurt you, you're gone. Or a discipleship teacher or a nursery worker or something's going to happen. And you're going to be hurt. That's part of life. When the hurt comes that you didn't expect, because of the oath, be faithful. Hang in there. That's what God wants us to do to respond rightly. Second, when we're hurt. So you think about hurt, you think about running. You think about getting out. He says, no, I want you to stay in. I want you to be faithful. Second, I want you to be patient. Verse 3, don't be in a hurry to leave him. That sounds like almost the same thing, but he explains a little bit. Don't join. Do not join in an evil man, matter. For he will do whatever he pleases. By adding that phrase, he's not just saying the same thing he said in verse 2. But what happens a lot of times when somebody hurts us is um, they've hurt other people too. And so it doesn't take long that they, they create a, you create a group of people who are against the people who hurt you. And that's where verse 3 comes in. says, be patient. People start egging you on. Hey, join us. We're going to get him the person who hurt us. We're going to get the organization. We're going to get back at the church, or we're going to get back at the government. We're going to start a movement. Don't don't be quick to do that. And notice how he describes this as an evil matter. Don't be quick to join in an evil matter. Because that whole conspiracy is going against the authority God's already put in place, and you've already made a covenant to You need to be faithful and you need to be uh, patient uh, with what's happening. Other people are impatient and they want to change and they want to change it quick. Um, Why do we do that? It's interesting. He says, for he he will do whatever he pleases. Um, The people in authority usually get the last word. You've noticed that. They get to do what they please. They have the authority. So be very slow. Be patient. Don't, don't go against the person who's going to get the last word who has authority over you. Um, we so quickly want to fix them and change them and remove the hurt. I don't know how many people I've had uh, come and grab me by the arm and say, David, can I bring, can I bring somebody over to talk to you? And I said, sure, you can bring somebody to talk to me. Uh, but uh, what's this in regards to? What, what are we going to be talking about? You know, and you know where this is going. Well, this person I want to bring you, they're bothering me. And I need you to fix them. Right? And I'm, I'm thinking if you'll just talk to them, that'll fix them. Well, guess what? It doesn't ever fix them. Because I can't fix anybody. You can't fix him. We don't change hearts. Who changes a leper's spots? Only God can. Only God changes hearts. And I hope that through sharing the Word of God, sometimes God uses it as a channel and a tool to change people. But I don't change people. I don't fix people. But so many times we want to get a group together and change somebody that is hurting us. And I think God is saying, be patient. That's not the way it works. Great example is in marriage when you really want to change somebody. Look at first Peter chapter three and, and you see these same principles played out uh, in the marriage arena. First Peter chapter three, the first six verses. It, it, it comes after a long section of, of, of being submissive to authority and government authority in chapter 2. And so when it says in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way, it's saying, in the same way that you're supposed to be submissive to government authorities, to Christ, in the same way you wives, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, so even if they are hurting you, by not consistently living the word of God. They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they, as, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely uh, external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in, the same, for in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what's right, without being frightened by any fear. So this woman that he's describing here is obviously one who fears being hurt. He says, "Let me show you how to respond in that situation." And in that situation, it's again. I want you to learn to be supportive. I want you to be patient. I want you to be quiet. I want you to be gentle. This is not a time to direct and confront, to argue. It's a time to um, have a behavior that's that shows I'm in this, and I'm going to be faithful to my covenant. And I'm going to do what's responsible and respectful according to God. And I hope that God will use me as a channel and a tool for your good and your blessing. But I don't know if that's going to happen. I can't fix you. I can't change you. But God can. And God wants my behavior to be right so that he can do his work. How do we respond when we're being heard? It's being faithful. It's being patient, not trying to direct and change and correct everything ourselves. And then Ecclesiastes 8, verse 4, he wants us to be supportive here. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say, what are you doing? It's like, don't challenge. Don't have direct conversation with the authorities over you. Um, What are you doing? Yeah. That's not where you want to go with this. You want to be supportive to improve relationships. Find ways that you can improve. Um, You say, well, how do I do that if they're sinning? They're doing sinful stuff and it's hurting me. Well, let me give you an example. Look at the book of Daniel. uh, After Ecclesiastes, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 is just a great example of how he was in a, a hurtful situation. He had an authority over him, and yet he's so supportive. Uh, and God works through him as a result of that, even to change nations. Let me read it for you. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. The, the king uh, ordered Asphanez, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, according to some of the royal family and of the nobles. So Daniel was uh, deported from his home in Jerusalem to Babylon. He must have been uh, an outstanding son of a royal of some sort. They wanted the best of the land to be trained to be the best in Babylon. So this is one of the men brought in. Verse 4. Youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence... In every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The Chaldean is the language of the Babylonians. So Daniel's in a foreign country now. He's being forced to learn a foreign language. He's put in a school he didn't want to be in, didn't uh, choose his, himself. Uh, Verse 5, the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years and at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them were some sons of Judah, uh, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah Shadrach, to Michiel, Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So there's something going on with the food. The, the practice probably in Babylon is typical is to... Um, Offer some sacrifice just like we do. We say, or is somebody going to say grace before a meal? We give some thanks that this provision is from our God. Uh, well, it's not untypical of other uh, religions and groups. So in Babylon, uh, the king would have sacrificed, given thanks to his gods, not the true biblical God, but his gods for this food. And Daniel, he didn't want to get into that. That, uh, that ritual, that relationship, because he worships the true God, not the, the God of the Babylonians. Uh, so he just felt defiled every time he was in that kind of environment. Can I, can I somehow get out of that? But notice, it's hurting him. He doesn't confront the king. He's not running. He's not leaving. He's he's looking for a way to, to remain in covenant with his God to do what he needs to do, to be faithful, to be patient, to be supportive. So, verse nine. So, God granted Daniel favor and com- compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, um, "I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has appointed you fo- your food and your drink. Uh, for why should you see? Why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths?" who are your own age. Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. So Daniel proposes to his supervisor, let's, let's change up the food, the way we do things, and the, he must have done it in such a gentle and respectful way that the guys say, I'd really like to help you out. You've been so nice and so respectful, but to do what you're asking, it's going to jeopardize my job. You know, I don't see how I can go there. So Daniel comes back. Verse 11, but Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servant for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. So he comes up with some food portions that's going to work. And he also comes up with a 10-day plan. I can imagine he's picked the most 10 days that, that... The king won't notice. It's going to keep us out of trouble. He doesn't want trouble. He's trying to rearrange his circumstances in such a way as still being in it, being patient, being supportive of his superior. It says, can we do it this way? Verse 13, then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and he tested them for 10 days. Verse 15, and at the end of 10 days their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Now, Daniel did not join the the TV show The Biggest Loser. He joined the TV show The Biggest Gainer. Okay. It would make sense that if you are a refugee, if you have been against your will, taken from your hometown, you've been treated like a slave. You don't feed slaves well. But the king wants to take this particular group of slaves and he literally wants to fatten them up. Because they have... They look haggard. They look worn. They've been in exile. And Daniel comes up with some plan... You know, eating vegetables and drinking water that's going to fatten him up. And his supervisor says, if we do it right here, you know, they agree this 10 days, the king won't notice. Daniel says, test us. You pick somebody who's eating the king's food and then somebody who's eating this food. Look at both of us and see which one gains weight. Which one gets fatter and which one looks better. And at the end of 10 days, Daniel looked fatter. And he looked better. And I share all that just because so many of y'all say, I'm going on the Daniel diet. I said, I wouldn't do that. Because <laughs> you're gonna gain weight if you're trying to lose weight, that's not gonna work. <clears throat> Daniel went on this diet, but notice, just notice his manner. How many of us like that? We come up with a way to be faithful under our hurt. A way to talk to our supervisor that's very patient with their responsibilities and what they have to do and how they have to speak to those even higher up from them. We come in showing that we're supportive of all that's going on. When somebody over us is hurting us, that's where God's leading us, like the righteous Daniel, to be faithful, to be patient, to be supportive and then god promises rewards pretty 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 cool he doesn't have to reward us he says i'll give you protection advancement not just protect you i'm going to you know promote you advancement i'll make things clear to you why this is going to work better and uh put a smile on your face let's look at it ecclesiastes chapter uh 8 verse 5 he who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. So if you keep these commands, you're going to experience no trouble. It's interesting to me, it always trub- troubles me when translators have the same word in the same context and don't translate them the same way. They obviously have some reason for that, but it often confuses me. The word for trouble in verse 5 is the exact, uh, or no trouble, it is the exact same Hebrew word as you have in uh, verse 3. And there is translated evil matter. So what he's saying is, the person who keeps what I'm asking you to do will experience no evil matter, no evil thing. That's pretty cool. That's protection. It's not saying I'm going to. Pre- In other words, why do I make the distinction? Because we know God gives us trials. We know God directly sends us trouble at times. He says trials are good for us. I want you to endure trials. There's times when God designs viruses for His people that we need to endure. That's not the trouble He's talking about here. He said, I, What I'm going to do is I'm going to protect you from evil things. We know from Scripture He protects us from the evil one and the evil things of the evil one. 1 John chapter 5 says the evil one would not touch us. He's going to keep us from those evil things. Cooked up by Satan and his host. But yes, we will have trouble in this life. We will have persecution, but we will also have protection. Let me show it to you in a psalm. Look at Psalm 34 19 through 22. Glorious passage. Psalm 34. Beginning at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So we get that. But catch the next phrase, the protection. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, there's a lot in that. He's not only protecting us in this life in some sense, but he's obviously protecting us in eternity. So I'm going I'm to take your soul. You will experience the resurrection. Though you die, you live. What protection is that? That's, that's huge. The non-believer doesn't get that protection. They are condemned. Their soul's not resurrected. It's like the, the whole John 11 passes where Jesus is talking to Mary and Martha and about uh, their brother Lazarus and saying, he's, he's okay, I've got him. He who believes in me lives even though he dies. I still got this. I'm still protecting my own. And we have to see that's God's affording to us. Keep living the believer's life, the Christian life, Continue to be faithful, continue to be patient, continue to be supportive. Be the salt and light in this earth. I've got this. I will take care of you. Even if it continues to your hurt, I will still have you. And the evil one will not take you to the pits of hell with him. He will not condemn you. You will be spared because of my mercy, my grace. That's God's promise. So as believers doing what God wants us to do, we're never in a no-hope situation. There's always hope. We're just going to get closer to Christ. We're going to be in His arms. We're going to be protected in His care. Second, He promises advancement. Uh, Not only does He keep us uh, from evil, uh, but a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. Let me keep reading. This is, there's, he, he stops with a kind of a, a little segment on just understanding there's a proper time and place for everything. Of course, we, we saw that in Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time and place for everything. Well, He's back to that theme here. Verse 6, For there's a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell when it will happen? Again, who knows the time? There's a proper time. People just don't know it, and they're not thinking about it. Um, I think verse 8 continues with that theme as well. Um, We need to be like Daniel and wait for the proper time. To say what we say, to do what we do. Daniel was obviously looking for a great time, a 10-day trial period that would work and um, make life better. There's a time and place for everything. Our tendency is to want to just get out of our circumstances. To not be patient, to not be faithful, to not be supportive. Um, there's got to be a better time. We want to leave, to get out. He says, "No. There's a wise heart knows there's a proper time. There's a proper procedure uh, for everything we do, every delight, whatever it is." And then he he mentions this verse seven and eight. Says uh, again, I, I think these are powerful verses. If it's so obvious. I love philosophy. Here's a great philosophical statement. Verse 7. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? It's like, duh. And yet, we live like we know what's going to happen. It says, if no one knows what will happen, do you know for sure the stock market's going to rise tomorrow? Uh-uh. Do you know it's going to fall tomorrow? No. No. But it probably do one or the other. And you got plenty of people who are going to tell you when. How can you tell me when? When you don't know the what. You don't know what it's going to do. And yet, you're wanting me to buy in because you're going to tell me when. And, you know, everything's like that. I know a certain person's going to do this or certain person's going to do that. Well, you really don't. Um, who does? Who knows? Well, obviously God does. Who can tell him when it will happen? Only God can um, tell us who can happen. Um, What could happen tomorrow? The supervisor that's hurting you or the friend or the preacher or the elder or the church or the government or whatever that's hurting you. Who can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow? So you say, well, it's just going to get worse. Well, you don't know that. So running and doing something other than being faithful and patient and supportive, I just can't take it to tomorrow. So I'm going to... Well, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's the point. See, tomorrow they may die. You don't know. Maybe be a car wreck. Everything's changed. Tomorrow, they might get saved. You don't know. That changes everything. Lots of things can happen tomorrow... You, we just don't know how God's going to change things tomorrow there may be a tragedy tomorrow there may be trials that God uses and it changes everything and that's where i think he gets in verse 8 no man has authority to restrain the wind i mean you can't control this with the wind or, or authority over the day of death nobody controls that you don't know when that's going to happen and no one uh, knows when we're going to be in a war or not in a war. Right here, while we're in here, somebody could drop a nuclear bomb and we'd we come out of here and we're in a war. We didn't know that was going to happen today. All of these things can happen. And he makes this interesting statement. Again, great ph- philosophy here. Evil will not deliver him who practices it. You know that, right? When you do evil indicating you want to run away from your oath, your obligation. You don't want to be faithful. You don't want to be patient. You don't want to be supportive. You want to do something evil. And you're convinced if you do what you want to do according to what you're convinced is going to keep you safe, give you your greatest preferences and your pleasure, if you'll go do that, it will deliver you makes a strong statement. It won't deliver you. It won't deliver you. Why do we do evil thinking it makes us better? Why do you run off and spend an hour in pornography saying this is going to give me my fix and make me free? It doesn't deliver you. Why do you run away from your spouse and those responsibilities saying, I'll be free. No, it's not really going to deliver you from the problems that you've got. Why do we sometimes ignore the praise and worship of God, saying, "I I, I could just, I just got to get away, because I got to get free"? And God says, "No, that does not deliver you. It's not how I reward my people." by them running after their own preferences and pleasure and health and safety when I've been the one who've promised protection. And I'm not only promising you protection, but I'm promising to advance you, to kick it up a notch so that you have more. And I'm the one who can advance you because I know the day of your death. I know when you're getting there. I know when it's gonna happen, and I know how I can take you beyond it, even to heaven and to glory. So see the great protection, the great advancement for living the life God has for us. And then go back to verse one. We catch up this theme of He's been trying to show us of wisdom, and wisdom that He's given us here leads to clarity. Who is like the wise man who knows the interpretation of a matter? That's that's clarity. He doesn't just know the fake news, but he knows the interpretation of the fake news. A wise man knows that. He doesn't just listen to the news, he knows the interpretation. How does this apply? Why does this matter? That's the kind of people I like being around, people who knows why this matters. Why I should listen, what I should do. It's an interpretation. Where does a wise man get such wisdom? You get it obviously from the Word of God, from God who can see the beginning from the end, explaining it to us. Life is confusing. And so many people just don't have clarity. It's, it's extremely confusing right now. You know, I mean, we've, we've just lived through a pandemic of confusion. I don't know. How many hours I spent getting confusing reports. My president tells me to do one thing. My governor takes some of that back. CDC tells me something else. The WHO takes some of that back. My employer says one thing. My employee says something different. My wife says one thing. I say something different. And it just gets confusing. Like, what what am I to do? Who knows the interpretation of the matter? I was thrilled as being a part of this church during, during this pandemic to be able to sit down with wise elders and say, what does the Bible say? Do we have an interpretation on the matter that's outside of man's inventions so that we know what to do? And by sitting with wise people under the Word of God, it became clear. Direction was in front of us. What a blessing that has been to us, you know. I've had uh, several people last week say, "Are you going to have some sort of welcome back service?" And I'm thinking, uh, "Yeah, I'd love to have a welcome back service." But we had that on May 31st last year. Welcome back. Now people are coming back one by one after vaccinations, which is thrilling. But it's it's we can't have a it's it's every week. It's not all at once like it was on May 31st, that was the all-at-once moment where we were being led by our elders. And it was a beautiful time. And we've experienced the protection of that. And we've experienced the advancement of that. We've experienced the clarity in that. And he also says, chapter 8, verse 1, and a man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. Pray for me on that. I so much want a smiling face. If you've got wisdom, there's some times where you ought to be able to look at the trouble, look at the problems of this world, and just, <laughs> it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. My God's got this. He's protecting me. He's advancing me. He's giving me clarity. It's going to be all right. And God says, you know, we all, when in times of confusion, we, we, we've got this troubled look on our face. But with the wisdom of God, the clarity comes and the smile comes. That's such a joy to have. And I, I want it for you. I want it for others to show the confidence that is ours um, in God. It's it's the bigger picture that we have. Well, just looked at the clock. I guess I'm out of time. But let me... Let me just wrap it up a little bit and say, "Where are you at this morning? Is anybody in this room being hurt? Anybody living under a little bit of hurt? Don't live, leave without thinking about that. I'm living with a little hurt. And I bet I, I bet 100 percent of us have hurt. How are you responding to the hurt that you, you feel like somebody is causing it? Now, yeah, I know you've got hurt. We have hurt because of our own sin. But this passage is about a different kind of hurt that seems to be someone around you, over you, is causing that hurt. When, when it's not your fault, how do you respond? to that hurt. And God gives us, I think, Ecclesiastes 8, 1 through 9 for that purpose. I want you to know, when you are experiencing that kind of hurt, if if you will just be faithful, if you will just be patient, if you'll hang in there and be supportive in the ministries I've called you to, then I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. And it won't be a setback. I'm going to take you forward. I'm going to make this clear. And I'm going to put a smile on your face. And I don't know about you, but there's times, many times, I need to hear that. That's the way our God loves us and cares for us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you that you're God that's got our back when we're being hurt when something's happening to us that we didn't really design Father it happens to all of us but we have a God who protects a God who advances a God who floods us with such clarity through your word that we can see clearly now And we can smile at the future. Father, for those here that have been hurt and they just don't see a way out, they don't see or feel the protection of God, we ask that you would grant them the grace of Christ to be transformed, to be one who understands that God so loved the world that he has given his son to purchase us, to bring us into his family, and to care for us as family. Father, grant that grace. We thank you for this opportunity to take of the Lord's Supper, to remember Christ, to rejoice in your care. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.